You know, the Bible illustrates two very contrasting characters in Israel's first and second king. Isn't it interesting that both of these men, Saul and David, both men who were chosen by God, isn't that interesting? Both the first king, Saul, and the second king, David, were chosen by God. Two very different men. Both men were empowered by God. Saul proved the fatal results of allowing himself to be governed by self. David proved the eternal results of allowing self to be governed by God. This is not a play on words. Self-government is one of the most important aspects of the Christian life. And here we are talking about self-government. I thought God was supposed to be in control. And now we're talking about self-government? Well, we're going to talk about the difference tonight of being governed by self or allowing God to govern us, being self-governed tonight. You see, when Saul heard the command from God to destroy all, save neither man, woman, child, beast, when he went in to take the orders to, to destroy the Amalekites, what did Saul decide to do? Did he do exactly what God said? Saul brought back a king, which was one of the customs back there. Saul brought back a king, and he brought back some choice animals. He justified his position. He reasoned away a plain, thus saith the Lord. The flesh and self and the push of the people against Saul, Saul was governed by self. He was not allowing himself. He was not choosing to be governed by God. Then his selfishness and the jealousies that developed in his heart caused him to begin to go after Israel's secondly anointed king. Do you realize that? Saul began to go after David. He tried to destroy David. But David proved to be self-governed under God. When he was on the run from Saul, twice he had the opportunity to destroy Saul's life. Twice he decided that he would allow God to do it God's way, that God could set up the kingdom in his time, in his way, and he would not interfere with God's plan. David was self-governed. Saul determined that his way was right, and he reasoned away the word of God. He justified his course it got to the place with Saul that he could not be reasoned with at all. 
And you probably remember the story of his own son, Jonathan, who under the direct guidance of God wrought a great victory for Israel just with his armor bearer at his side under God's divine plan. He didn't know the decree that his father had made that no one could eat. And so what did he do? He was wearied from the day of battle and he had a little honey. Saul had made up his mind his own son would have to be what? Killed. And when he made up his mind, he couldn't be reasoned with. And do you know why Jonathan wasn't killed that day? The armies of Israel would not allow the king to carry out his command. Praise God. Saul did not learn self-government under God. He allowed self to govern him. Proverbs 16.32 says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. What does this mean? He that ruleth his spirit. The natural feelings that come up inside of us, the irritations, the, the emotions that want to rule us are not allowed to rule us. But rather, we choose to surrender those to God. We choose to allow His Spirit to rule in us. Man ruling under the governorship of God. Because the text here says, He that ruleth his spirit, then he that taketh a city. God expects us to make the choices, doesn't He? God expects us to make the choices. We carry out the commands. But it's whether we are being ruled by God or we're being ruled by self. You see, self-government, the government of self that David demonstrated was letting God govern him. Saul, on the other hand, it was self-governing Saul being run by the flesh, by the selfish motives of the flesh. Man, the first verse, that verse says, He that ruleth his spirit, God is looking for men today who will be self-governed men, real Christian men. God is looking for self-governed Christian husbands and self-governed Christian fathers. Why not you tonight? Why not me? Aren't you weary of the results of self-running your life? Aren't you weary of it? I am. Here are a few typical reactions that men tend to give in their fleshly response. When self is governing, when self is ruling, instead of Christ being in control. When self is crossed, when self doesn't get my way, some men become irritated and agitated, angry and even violent. Some simply withdraw and refuse to communicate. Some men pout. Did you know men pout? 
Some men pout and feel sorry for themselves and begin to look for sympathy. Some men cry when they don't get their own way. Some become so manipulative that they will go to almost any length to get what they want. Now, as I shared those thoughts, those reactions of men, the Holy Spirit may have reminded you that this is like you in one or more of these areas. You see, I will never challenge you from the pulpit on anything that God has not challenged me on personally. If I'm challenging you tonight with these thoughts, it's because God is challenging me as well. We're in this together. We have the same kind of flesh. And we have the same personal God who is willing to deliver us from this flesh. You see, brothers, we have all been affected by our upbringing. Would you agree with that? We have all had different baggage that we've come from different backgrounds. We've been affected by the circumstances of our lives, by bad choices. I could tell you many bad choices I've made and I've seen how they affected my life as I've looked back. We've been affected by our inheritance, haven't we? We've been affected by inheritance and certainly by the cultivated wrong habits. Now that sounds very overwhelming, doesn't it? It doesn't paint a very pretty picture. Is there any hope for us? We're prisoners of hope, aren't we? You see, there's life-changing power in allowing Jesus Christ to have us in the present moment. In the present moment. It doesn't matter where we've come from or how bad the baggage is. Right now, in this present moment, there is a Savior who is mighty to save. I've had to find that Savior over and over, even here at this camp meeting, personally. We are not in a once saved, once surrendered, always saved, always surrendered Christianity, are we? And the devil works on each one of us and tries to convince us with the best billboards and the best advertising that when self is in control, we have the good life. It's a lie, isn't it? Are you learning that? I'm learning that through a lot of hard knocks and wrong decisions. But I'll tell you, I'm also learning that there's power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know, eventually, if we're found in the kingdom of heaven at last, it will be because we have voluntarily decided, we have decided once and for all that we are through with responding to the advertisements of our adversary. They are not going to find an answering chord in us anymore. There will not be any more confrontations in heaven with our Heavenly Father saying, I want to run heaven my way, like it started with Lucifer. We're making those decisions now. And I want to give you encouragement tonight, men, that regardless 
of the failures of the past, we have hope tonight that we can be different men. And I tell you that being a Christian for me is the best choice I've ever made in life. And it's getting better and better, even though the way gets steeper and narrower. It's not a smooth road, is it? (laughs) But God loves us enough and He allows us to be tested and taken through the difficulties that we need to prepare us for a character that can be preserved throughout all eternity. We don't have to remain victims of our past. Being continually ruled by self and our fleshly Selfish nature. Isn't that good news? And for men, isn't that good news to your wives? (laughs) How about to the children? Isn't that good news? It is good news. Not just because it's good news for the father. It's good news for children and youth today. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, If any man... Any man be in Christ. He is what? He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It says any man, doesn't it? Does that mean any man here tonight? Any of us? If any man, regardless of our past circumstances, of our bad habits, of of our inherited or cultivated tendencies, tonight it says, if any man be in Christ. Now I want to emphasize the word be tonight. This usually doesn't get emphasized in this kind of discussion. In is the important word, in Christ, right? But it says be. And be means presently. Be Presently in Christ. Not something that happened a week ago. Not something that happened back in the conversion experience. It says be right now. Be presently in Christ. Right now presently surrendered. Right now if the Lord is bringing something to you through the Spirit. That right now you choose to allow Christ to be your present Savior. In this moment. We will be new creatures then in this present moment. Do you know that God is capable of taking those thoughts and feelings? Do you know what happens when you put thoughts and feelings together? (laughs) Do you think it's possible that your character can change very quickly? It does. If you entertain thoughts and those thoughts gender feelings and those feelings start taking over Thoughts and feelings will make us a different character. Now that's, that's a positive experience if we be in Christ. <laughs> but if we choose not to be in Christ, what happens? Does our character change? Well, it's the wrong kind of character, isn't it? And that can happen. That's how people sometimes end up behind bars. Because in a moment, 
of thoughts and feelings, they make a very horrible decision that can't be undone. Their character in that moment is changed. Tonight, our characters can be changed if we are struggling with thoughts, if we are struggling with emotions, if we are struggling with failures. Tonight, in this meeting, those thoughts and those feelings can be changed and we can be new creatures presently. That's good news. I used to be a night owl. Do you know what that means? I used to be able to stay up and in fact enjoyed staying up very, very late at night. But I also enjoyed something on the other end of the spectrum. (laughs) Sleeping in in the morning too late. Eating pizza at 11 o'clock at night. Can you imagine that? I can't hardly imagine it now because my body wouldn't tolerate a pizza at 11 o'clock at night. Much less I don't think I would feel like eating a pizza at 11 o'clock at night. But I used to do these kind of things. We don't have to be bound by those kind of things. Whatever it is that is happening to you that the devil is telling you can't get loose from, God is able to change that. And it doesn't have to take years to do that, friends. You see, the old things can be passed away and all things can become new. Self-government is not a works program. It is not a works program. Self-government is a work of divine grace. It's a work of God. It's a work of human cooperation with divine grace, if we're willing. It is not a works program. Now, I think most of you here who have at least been working on the Christian life know what it's like to try to work in the wrong fashion. This is not a works program we're talking about. This is a program that really works if we will cooperate with divine grace and if we will choose to be in this present situation, in this present moment, to be surrendered to Christ. Being there, staying there, when we fall from there, being willing by faith to raise our hand and take hold again and not groveling in our failure. I used to just grovel in my failure. Oh, I did it again. I said I was never going to do this again. And there I would take myself down. You know, it was very interesting. In my experience, it was just like Jesus getting separated from his parents in the temple. It took me three days. I found that out. I didn't understand it then. But as I look back, Almost always, when I got into discouragement over my failures, it took me about three days to get back on track again. Brothers, it doesn't have to do that. It is not God who puts our face in the mud and says, now you stay there until I think you've paid penance. That's the devil. The devil is a master at painting a program of deception, and then he comes around behind and he beats us up when he gets us to follow his program. He gets us on both ends. 
We do not have to grovel in our failure. We can reach the hand of faith back up and take hold of the mighty arm of our Savior and be delivered and move forward in the Christian walk. You know, some of my daily challenges, I'm sure are just like the ones you face, men. But some of them happen in airports. We're in airports a lot. And we, we have kind of a, a saying among our, our family, we're running again. We can be on time and early, and we always are, but for some reason we're running again. Some misconnected flight or something goes wrong, and we're running. Many times I wear my tennis shoes now when I go to the airport <laughs> because... I have run literally, well, one time in one airport, it was over half a mile. And when I got to the last gate and I was, I knew it was my gate, Emily was running with me. She started to drop behind about, after about, I don't know, a quarter of a mile because I knew I had to get there. And I got to that last gate of the last, where I knew this was the D concourse I knew it was my last concourse, and I said, Lord, thank you for the treadmill, (laughs) because I would have never made it without that treadmill. Now, it wasn't really the treadmill, was it? But, you know, there's a place for good exercise. It's a blessing. You know, it's one of the things, that's not in my notes, by the way, but (laughs) exercise is something that few Christians are really committed to like they need to be. It's one of the eight natural laws that seems to get shoved off or quietly put under the rug by Christians. And I tell you, I don't put it under the rug anymore. I love to exercise now. I found such beautiful benefits in it. And it's not just being able to run through airports. (laughs) My immune system is better. I find that I'm able to face the trials and difficulties of the day with a clearer mind. I have more of a disposition to connect with God at the beginning of the day and persevere through the day. Well, we were in an airport not long ago in Ontario, California. And we were there at the ticket counter checking in. And we noticed right off that this lady who was taking care of us was not very happy. And so, you know, you look for ways to try to brighten their day. You know, influence is a powerful thing, isn't it? We can either decide to be influenced by that person across there who's not too happy, or we can choose to allow God to try to change that little atmosphere that's there. Well, she wasn't very interested in changing the atmosphere. And when she was checking us in, she saw this oversized box that we had to check in. And she said, um, that box will cost you $80. That was a call to my heart. (laughs) From the Spirit, when she said that. Because immediately I thought of, well, if I would have known that, I could have 
shipped at UPS for less than that. $80. Well, the Lord called in my heart right there. I had a choice to make. Am I going to now let self start to take over? How quick does it happen? Is it a soul fuse? (laughs) Oh, I recognize the call to my heart. And so I surrendered that to the Lord. I gave that to the Lord. I didn't give up, though. Okay? I said, isn't there any exception that you have? She said, up until one month ago, we had an exception that you could use. If you had never claimed the exception before, Delta would give you an exception for one oversized box. That was one month ago. There is no exception today. (laughs) So I explained to the lady that we've never asked for an exception with our baggage in all the years that we've been flying. And I said, you know, everyone in my family is a medallion flyer, except Allison had lost her status because she was in school. I said, we've never asked for an exception. I said, surely there's got to be some way that we can use that exception that was good a month ago. Is there any way? And she said, no. Very emphatically. Another call from the Spirit to my heart. This may not happen to you in airports, but it's happening to you every day, isn't it? Somewhere. To be. To be. Not was. To be in Christ presently was the call. Self-government now. So, I yielded there to the Spirit. And I said, is there a supervisor that I could talk to? She did not like that. And I, I asked it in a very nice way. She did not like me asking for the supervisor. She said, yes, I'll go get the supervisor. So she went and got John. John was very, very nice. As soon as he started talking to me, I understood why he was the supervisor. And that gave me encouragement. And as John walked up to the desk, I just asked for a for special wisdom. I, in fact, I thought of James 1.5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. I said, Lord, please give me the wisdom. Keep me by your spirit. And then I began to talk to John about our situation and about the exception. And he said, you know, I'd really like to be able to help you on this. But he said, the airlines are really hurting right now financially. And I said, I understand that. And they are. Most of you probably know that. They're really hurting financially. But I said, you know, we've been flying with Delta Airlines for many, many years, John. And I said, if your vice president of marketing was standing here in this conversation right now, he would value our customer relations more than the $80 that you're going to charge me. He said, you're absolutely right. But he said, the vice president of marketing can get away with things that I can't. (laughs) The Lord said to me, don't give up. Persevere, but don't let go. 
I said, John, is there nobody else that we can talk to today? <laughs> is there no other way that we can, can take care of this situation? And he looked at me and he said, okay, I'm going to go talk to somebody. <laughs> and then he went away. And the lady there at the ticket counter was very upset. <laughs> okay? And so I just stood there quietly, and I was talking to the Lord, and then my biggest test in the situation came. You know what that was? I call it neutralizing the will. It's all silent now. I know John is in there talking to somebody. I don't know who he's talking to. And I know it's going to come down to the final decision here. And it's either going to be, okay, you don't have to pay the $80, or you're going to have to pay the $80. And I had to come to grips with that quietly with the Lord. Was I willing? And I found myself saying, Lord, $80, I can use that in a lot better ways. That's still self-governing, isn't it? God is in control. He needs to be in control. And ultimately, He is the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. If he thinks that $80 needs to be spent there for something that's worth $80 or more in my character, I need to be able to let it go. Because that $80 isn't worth it for me to get upset at John or this other lady. And so I stood there quietly talking to the Lord and I made my decision. I neutralized my will before God and I said, I'm willing to go either way. Thy will be done. Give me the grace either way. You know, it seemed like a long time. It was at least five minutes, but you know, that seems like a long time when you're standing there in line and there are other people around <laughs> and I'm just standing there and it's been a long time now. This process has gone on. And then John came out and his face didn't reveal anything until he got right in front of me and he said, they agreed with you. <laughs> That's all he said. They agreed with you. And if you could have seen the frustration in that ticket agent when he said that, she was so upset. And I said, praise the Lord. Because I knew it was God working through that situation. And I had permission. You know, sometimes I don't say praise the Lord to people like that. But I knew that God was working in John's heart. And I said, praise the Lord to John. Thank you. Well, the lady took care of everything and the box went through. We went upstairs. And just before the flight was ready to leave, John, the supervisor, came upstairs. And he came to me. And he knelt down in front of me like this. And he said, I'm very sorry for what I put you through, Mr. Waters. He said, I never would have done it if it wasn't for that ticket agent at the front desk. He said, I would have given you the exception in a minute. But he said, I've had such conflicts with this lady. And he said, she's trying to do her job. She's trying to do what the company has told her. And then here the supervisor comes out and says, overruled. And I said to John, thank you. I respect you for the way you handled that. Do you know what happened? John 
went back there, and I don't know to this day if he ever talked with anybody, but John was being so sensitive to his frontline person that he let the decision be made by somebody else. That's why he said to me, they agreed with you. That's all he said. They, whoever they, maybe it was just the, the Lord working in his heart, but that man was put in a very difficult position. But God overruled in that situation. He overruled in me, and he overruled in that situation. That's a win-win situation in the gospel. And I praise God for it. But you know, it was so touching for him to come up there. He didn't need to do that. He'd already given me a yes. He'd already removed the $80 fee. And yet, he, he made the effort, and he walked a long ways to find us. He made the effort to come and tell us that he was sorry for the way he had to handle that situation. Is God working in people's hearts today? And men, I entreat you, as God entreats me in these kind of situations, that may be the one opportunity that we'll ever have to stand in the presence of that man. We may be the only script that he ever reads. Now think about that. Are we allowing the Spirit of God to govern us? Or are we taking it into our own hands? I'm going to do it my way, impetuously. I'm going to push it through my way to be in the present moment in Christ is what makes us new creatures. So, that's out there. And that's important. Because men, we spend quite a bit of our time out there. may not be in airports. Although we spend a lot of time in airports, that's why we meet a lot of our trials in airports. But wherever you are out there, men spend lots of time out there. We need to be self-governed out there. But what about in the home? What about in the marriage relationship? You see, many marriages begin to fail because men fail to be self-governed in how they treat their wives. This is something that God began to show me many years ago. Marriages begin to fail because men fail to be self-governed in thought, in word, and in deed. Remember that verse that I read? It said, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Slow to anger. Are we being self-governed under Christ? Or are we letting self have us? Think about it. Don't answer me, but answer God. Self-government begins in our thoughts. If we really want to deal with our emotions, if we really want to deal with our habits, if we really want to deal with how we speak, it begins with our thoughts. I want to share a simple illustration. When Elaine and I were first married, I didn't understand many things. And I'll tell you, I had the me focus. I had so much of a me focus, I didn't know that it was a me focus. I had so much of a me focus when we got married that 
I was living like a single man, conducting my fun and friendships and all my recreational and sports and all that thing like I was still a single man and then I just had my wife as a convenience. I didn't mean for it to be that way and I didn't understand it for about six months in the marriage relationship. But there's one thing that I understood that was very important. That my eyes needed to be for my bride. My eyes needed to be for my bride. I don't know how I understood that, but I thank God for that. She was the one that I chose. She was the one I entered into a covenant relationship with before God, and somehow I understood that. And so I made a covenant with my eyes for my wife with the Lord. Job says it this way. I made a covenant with mine eyes. I never knew this verse existed, by the way, when I made that. (laughs) I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I look upon a maid? Is that a good question, men? Job 31.1. You see, husbands, we made a covenant with God. A covenant before witnesses. A covenant of marriage to the woman that we loved and we gave our life to be with. For better, for worse, for sickness and health, for richer, for poor, until death do us part. If we were willing to make that kind of covenant in marriage, why not be willing to make a covenant with our eyes that will strengthen that marriage relationship? That was a decision that I made early in our marriage. So does this mean that when we go out to town, I wear blinders over my eyes? Because the verse said... Why then should I look upon a maid? Well, look at all the maids out here tonight. And I'm looking upon you. So what does that verse mean? It doesn't mean that I can't see a woman pass by. In fact, it doesn't mean that I can't see a strikingly beautiful woman walk by. What it means is this. What does my mind do with the visual input when they walk by. Do you understand? That's the question. It is not wrong to see a woman walk by because we don't go through life with blinders over our, our face. Where many men get into problems is what they do when the woman walks by with the information in the thoughts. You see, self-government needs to happen with a covenant with our eyes for our wife. You see, first, we need to make a covenant with the Lord. Do you believe that? You try making a covenant with your wife without the Lord being there first, and it won't work. It'll be just like everything else. You'll just have the best intentions and you'll fall flat on your face. In fact, you try to make it without the Lord, and you'll feel like you got hit ten times harder than you were hit with it the day before. But you make it with the Lord 
first and be convinced in your mind that God can empower that covenant and then you make that covenant with your wife for your eyes. It's a powerful covenant, men. And I hope every one of you here will make that covenant. You see, when a woman passes me, self-government is immediately awakened in my mind. My wife trusts me completely. Because she knows that when a woman walks by me, that it activates in me a covenant between her and I. It activates a covenant that we've made before the Lord. And when a woman walks by and the self-government is awakened in me, then the Lord checks my motives for a second look. That's where many men get in trouble. A second look. That second look is a look of discontentment. That second look is a look of advertisement. That second look is a look that normally has something in it that it shouldn't have. And the Lord checks my motives for a second look. Now, you can check yourself. If an 80-year-old woman walks by, and I don't mean that in a negative way, please, but if an 80-year-old woman walks by and you have the thought to take a second look, if that's just the way that you are, you're interested in people, you know, sometimes it's just fun to watch people, then your motive probably isn't wrong, but the Lord wants to check the motives. But if it's a 30-year-old woman that's walking by, And you don't just generally watch every woman that walks by and take a second look. You better be very careful, gentlemen, because the devil wants to get the minds of men. He wants to create this grass is greener on the other side mentality, this discontent inside. I hope you'll make a covenant with your eyes before God and your wife. It's a beautiful tool for strengthening the marriage. Now, wives, do you think you can play a part in this? Absolutely. My dear bride always makes home the place I want to be. I love to come home because she is the center of my home. She is what makes home home for me with Christ overseeing that home. But my wife is the center of the home. I love to come home to her and she has actively participated in this covenant from her perspective. Do you know how she does that? She continues to take care of herself. She continues to exercise. She continues to prepare healthy food. She continues to do things to keep herself up She wears clothing that's nice. Not dress-up clothes, but she wants to look nice for me more than anybody else. I like that. So wives, you can play a part in that, can't you? 
So if you'd like, if you think it sounds good that your husband has a covenant with the Lord with his eyes just for you, then be pleasing in his eyes. Is that a fair thing to say? Make, make home the kind of place where you want to come home and he wouldn't want to go anywhere else. Self-government needs to be in every aspect of our lives, men. In our marriages, you can fill in the blanks in the, in the areas of your own life. The last area that I'd like to talk about tonight is how self-government works as a father. True self-government in Christ overrides, listen to this, true self-government in Christ overrides the demands of temporal life. I mean that. It overrides the demands of temporal life. It doesn't do away with temporal life. The key word is demands of temporal life. If you will let yourself, and many of us have done this, many of us have fallen to this trap, we try to meet too many of the demands of temporal life, all in the name of doing it for our family. True self-government overrides the demands of temporal life and makes time for our youth and our children. I can say that to you with strength because I know it to be true. I have taken time for the young people in my home and I make no apologies for it. I used to apologize for it early on because I felt guilty. Because some people made me... Okay, did they make me? Lord caught me on that one. (laughs) I used to allow myself to come under the pressure of the demands and expectations of other people that I felt guilty because I took time for my family. I don't feel guilty for it anymore. It didn't take me long, men, to recognize that there is great reward in taking time for my youth and my children. Great rewards. So I don't regret it at all. I, I love to have the time with them. I want more time with them, but I make time for them. And I'll tell you, there is nothing you could pay me. No amount of money that you could pay me to trade in that time with my young people for the temporal demands of life. It also balances the demands of this ministry. Demands of this ministry. Do you know that being in ministry is very demanding? And it's not because people intend to be demanding. None of you are demanding. It's just that when Hundreds of you have needs that are real. They can become or appear demanding. Isn't that right? Now that doesn't change the need. And I tell you, there's nothing I'd rather do in this life than be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But God has shown me over and over that I must not let the demands of this ministry run me. 
We get calls in the middle of the night from other countries that are on different time schedules because they don't think about it because they're not used to calling all over different parts of the United States. And so we get calls all days, all, all hours of the day and night. And we love those calls. But we have to balance the demands of those calls with family worship. You know, I used to, I used to answer the phone during family worship. And then it got to the point that I wasn't in family worship anymore. That's terrible. And the person calling didn't know it was family worship, and I didn't want to tell them, make them feel bad. So I don't answer the phone during family worship anymore. Unless God tells me to. So, are you balancing the demands in your situation, men? Because true self-government will bring Christ into that equation to balance those demands. You know, our entire power system, for me that means my hydroelectric system, the solar system, and our generators. The entire system went out. Okay? For two days. Now, I love the system that we have, not because I'm enamored by the survival mentality or that I'm off the grid and that I'm self-sufficient, but I thank God for providing us a quiet, inexpensive way to get electricity. It's a blessing. But when it all goes down, it's a trial. Well, our whole system went down. Everything. And then our water went down. Totally. Our system got plugged up. You didn't know this, did you, Mark? <laughs> Haven't had a chance to tell you that story yet. <laughs> Mark's one of our neighbors. <laughs> we share some of our trials once in a while, and after we've worked through them, right? <laughs> and so the water system is down. No water coming out of the faucet. Have you experienced that before? Okay, so you can enter into that a little bit. And no power. So, is that a demand? Is that a demand? <laughs> it was. It was a loud demand. Now, do we have to be run by that demand? No. Do you believe that? We don't have to be run by that demand. And you know, the importance of why I'm sharing this with you is not only did I not have to be run by that demand, but the Lord called me to take my son with me to solve the problems. We need to do that, men. Because you know what the tendency is? And women, you do the same thing in the kitchen, so it's for both. But women tend to say, I can, I can, bake the, I can do the bread faster if I don't have to make this mess, you know, teaching my little child how to do it. And men often say, well, I've got to get this job done. I mean, I'll teach you how to do this stuff later, son, but I've got to get this job done. We don't have time to... No, the Lord says, take your son with you and work together. And you know, some of the best camaraderie I've had with my son, Josiah, is working together through difficult trials. 
working with him side by side, not only teaching him how to fix the problem, and to be honest with you, he helps me figure out how to fix the problem more nowadays than I help him, but that's because I've continued by God's grace to reach out and take him and make him a part of it. But not only to teach him how to fix things and teach him how to do these mechanical things and learn together, but you know it's a wonderful opportunity to teach our young people how to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. And that's the most valuable part. Because when your power system goes out and your water system goes out, self comes up, right? And self wants to take over and wants to be in charge and God wants to have self governed in Christ. Can it happen, men? Absolutely. Our water is working again. I'm very thankful for that. I've never taken it for granted, but you know when you lose it, you really appreciate it much more when it comes back. Our power is not completely back yet. (laughs) We have enough to get by with one generator that's working pretty well. (laughs) But you know, God doesn't just want to get us in the situation with victory. He wants to take us through a prolonged process, doesn't he? Because some things don't happen overnight and go away overnight, do they? Some trials will stay with us for a while and God wants to teach us how to be self-governed through those enduring trials. Men, we need to cultivate a relationship with our young people. 7 o'clock, if the power's out or the water's out, 7 o'clock is family walk and talk time now in our home. Continues to change as... You know, the young people are growing up and have jobs. And, but we guard that time. 7 o'clock is family walk and talk time on our present schedule. And we process the day together and we look forward to it. If you don't believe me, you just ask Emily. When she's driving home from work, she works in the ministry office and when she's driving home from work, you know what she's, she often tells us she's thinking about when she's getting close to home? What we're going to talk about. Because she gets home at quarter to seven. What we're going to talk about in our family walk and talk time. We need to cultivate that, men. We need to be the ones who are leading out in that. It doesn't have to be family walk, walk and talk time. That's just what fits for us in our present situation. But we need to be cultivating time for communication. We need to get our priorities in order, men. I mean that. Not just talk about it, but get our priorities in order. And when I'm talking about order, I'm talking about gospel order, God's order. We need to be taking time for the most important things in life, and that means time for God, time for our marriage, time for our young people and put those priorities where they need to be. If we don't do it, nobody will do it for us. It won't happen. And there'll be a lot of other influences pulling us in all the other directions constantly. You know, some young people aren't used to having their fathers take time to talk to them. If you're one of those fathers who hasn't taken the time, please don't be offended if it isn't just warmly received the first time you want to walk and talk. Persevere, fathers. 
don't give up. Because if your young person is used to talking to everybody else but father, it may take some time to develop that rapport, but don't give up. They'll likely test your commitment too. They won't just test your communication, they'll test your commitment. If you only do it one time and then you get back to real life again, that's not very good. So they'll test your commitment to see if you really want to take time for them. And it's not just a one-time situation. Let's pass the test, brothers. What better test to pass than time with our young people to let them know we really care for them. Let's pass the test governed by Christ. Our sons and daughters need to experience the benefits that self-government has given to us as men. Do you know one of the greatest blessings we can pass down to our young people is the example of a self-governed life under Christ. What a heritage we can pass down to our young people. They need to see us gaining victories, fathers. They need to experience how the gospel works in the life of their father. Is that fair? Isaac trusted Abraham to lay on that altar with a knife raised above him. Can you imagine that? Oh, how I have thought on that story over and over and have wept over that story. That that young man loved and trusted his father so much that he laid there looking up into his father's eyes with a knife raised and trusted himself into those hands. May God help us men to get our priorities straight. That relationship with Isaac and Abraham did not happen overnight. And Abraham was a busy man. But he took time to develop that kind of relationship with Isaac. We can be new creatures in Christ. Presently, new creatures with new attitudes, with new purposes, with new plans. And I would encourage you, fathers, make some plans before you go home. Make some plans for change. You don't have the push and the pressures here. Make some plans for change. That power is available to us now. The power to change us is available to us now. If we're willing to be surrendered, if we're willing to be dependent upon Christ, and you will face temptation. I will face temptations. We will be stressed by the circumstances we face, and we can deal with that stress in Christ. We will be faced with the demands of temporal life. We can deal with those demands by the grace of God. We will come under temptation, but there is no temptation that has taken us, but such that is common to man. Does God have a solution? In closing, I'd like my family to come up, and we're going to sing that song. Taken in first, from 1 Corinthians 10.13. It's a promise to us tonight that no matter what the temptation is, it has come through the hand of God. It has been weighed. It has been measured. 
And God is able to sustain us through it if we will surrender and depend upon Him. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.